we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 165 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and a very special guest. I will get to her in just a moment. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive. Yeah, doing well. I'm glad to hear it. And from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Melissa. Melissa, how are you? It's good to see you again. Thank you. I'm, I'm well. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I'm, and I'm glad that you've got your uh, your house guest calmed down there. You know, it was, uh, it was quite a quite a ruckus before we started. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, that got sorted out. We were going over some things in prep. I suppose we could start with this. Um, this I, I suppose you could, I guess some would call it art. I wouldn't call it art that you sent over. This is uh, this is disgusting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm not not impressed in the least bit of it, but uh, I suppose we can start there. So why don't you tell everybody what you sent in for us to talk about? Well, one of uh, Alan's longtime listeners sent me this link in the email yesterday, and I couldn't believe it when I pulled it up. It's I mean, I could believe it, but EU, this is the European Parliament, displays satanic anti-christian artwork by godless lesbian in parliament that is the headline from the gateway pundit kind of um you know a headline that's meant to be a grabber but i went and looked at the story to see who else was covering it and it's getting almost no what you would call mainstream coverage at all but I did find several Christian and Catholic uh, sites that were covering it. Catholic News Agency said, EU Parliament criticized for displaying vulgar depictions of Jesus and the apostles. Now, one of the articles that I looked at, I, I think it said that the photographer who did this work was actually a member of the European Parliament. But whether or not that is true, what you have is a Swedish photographer by the name of Elizabeth Olsen. And one of the main images that is getting criticism shows a transgender Jesus surrounded by his apostles, and they are all transgender. Another one of the images shows a haloed Jesus surrounded by, um, you know, get the gay bondage get up, uh, various states of kind of undress and black leather. And this is getting criticism. And the photographer said, oh, I did not mean this to be 
Oh yeah, they did. Vulgar. It's yeah, they did. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I hundred percent believe that they did, and I've got some of these uh, these works of art. Uh, I'm being very sarcastic when I say that uh, up here on the screen, and that's that's disgusting. That that is just that's it. Bruce is the is the right word blasphemy here? Is that is that the correct term here? Uh, that would be the correct term. Uh, I'd also like to point out that uh, Jesus is also in high heels there. Uh, yeah, there <laughs> is there is that. This is um, you know what. I, I don't know of any other way to deal with this this um how do you describe this ideological uh, perversion I I'm, I'm I'm trying to be polite here I I don't know of how else to deal with this other than just removing these people if that makes any sense but that doesn't fix the problem does it you need a public outcry but this isn't even something that the public is being shown like this this should be plastered across all of the uh, the front pages of the papers asking the public and putting it to the court of public opinion is this acceptable and i think you would find mm-hmm. that a majority of the, the people that would speak up about it would say absolutely not mm-hmm. it, what the photo- how the photographer defends it now she's described as an anti-christian activist i don't know i didn't look into her so i don't know what she's up to but she said There are a lot of pictures of Jesus with heterosexual people, millions, billions of paintings, famous artists, but this is just 12 pictures of Jesus loving the LGBT rights. So 12 pictures should not be so scary for them. Uh, What kind of logic is that? (laughs) Like this is, Bruce, you want to take that one? Jesus never supported anything to do with transgender rights or LGBT rights or any of those kind of things. Well, if you look at the um, Jesus of the Bible, uh, how the Bible portrays him, the the very basic the description you could give is John 3, 16, 17, and 18. That is the very basic uh, description of him. He came to uh, uh, basically save us, of, save us of our sins. He did not come to support and condone uh, your debauchery, uh, is the best word I could come up with for this. Decadence. Uh, that, that that's That's all that really comes up with this. And here's my question. Where's the Vatican on this? Where, where are they? Have they made a public statement denouncing any of this? I don't think they have, have they? I, I don't think I've seen it. I, you know, that piece I was just reading from was from Catholic News Agency. I did find, I just thought, well, let's see what's trending out there. Not necessarily about this story, but are there similar stories? And I found one also from yesterday. Uh, this one was reported by Newsweek, and it said the Archdiocese is investigating Catholic churches God is Trans exhibit. So this is the Archdiocese of New York is investigating one of its parishes after reports of a new art exhibit surfaced on Monday. That's yesterday. The Church of St. Paul the Apostle in Manhattan surprised parishioners when it displayed the three-painting work by artist Ada Unachukwu, which depicts the spiritual journey of an LGBTQ plus person. The display, titled God is Trans, A Queer Spiritual Journey, isn't the first time the church has publicly welcomed members of the LGBTQ plus community, but the exhibit is now a concern for the archdiocese. So we'll see if there is an official word on this. Um, The church has been described as very liberal, and it is reported that parishioners have expressed mixed opinions about the exhibit. So. I'm, I'm going to sound see. I'm going to sound a bit harsh on this one, uh, but the Catholic Church has already been uh, it's fraught with problems in the past where there's been instances of um, 
pedophiles uh, molesting children and then not being turned over to law enforcement, but instead being changed, their position being uh, moved to some other place, you know, book work or something, you know, behind the scenes. So it's where they're not out in the open again. This kind of supporting the LGBT thing would be a lesser offense compared to some of the stuff that the Catholic Church has already been covering up. Again, nothing against the Catholic, um, you know, the average Catholic. This is about your leadership. It would not surprise me if they come out and support this. Well, you bring up a really good point, because what has happened over the last, you know, however many couple of decades, at least, that more and more of these uh, pedophile, pedophilic incidents have happened within the Catholic Church. I learned that the Catholic Church had a longstanding, I mean, we're talking a policy that is many hundreds of years old, that their clergy would were not ever historically to be held to civil law, but were to be punished by the church. But the grotesque abuse there was that there was no uh, clerical punishment. They were, as you said, moved from, you know, to a desk job or a library or an archive. Um, and that is not, uh, it's neither addressing the problem nor punishing them. And the Catholic Church, quite rightly as an organization, took a big hit on their reputation by the way that they dragged their feet and evaded any responsibility or truth-telling on this very real and horrifying situation there. And uh, we have a good example from, uh, you know, taking it for the Bible and, and using that as the example since we're talking Catholic. Uh, we have a, an example of this um, uh, during Paul's time when there was an individual that was in, amongst the church that was basically having a relationship with his stepmom. And they were like, no, this isn't OK. You're gone. You're out of the church. And they kicked mm-hmm. him out mm-hmm. and until he repented and then he was allowed back in. So we have an example of immoral, you know, these kind of immoral acts and the correct punishment that is to happen, at least amongst the church. So when when this came, uh, this stuff came out about the uh, uh, the priests that had um, molested the kids, the correct course of action should have been you're done. You're out of the church. You're, you're no longer you're you're completely uh, basically disowned. You're kicked out. And then turned over to the law enforcement, you know, turn, turn over to authorities because that is the correct course of action. Christians are not against the, the, the corporal punishment here, like, you know, in the, if for, for wrongdoing, they're not against that. They're for the forgiveness of sin, but you still have to pay whatever price that, you know, like if you committed murder, yeah, God will forgive you of that, but you're still going to have to go to jail because you committed murder, you know? So there's still a, um, governance, natural law system here. Uh, that mm-hmm. actually God is actually um, blessed and and said, uh, if you do wrong, you will have the government come at you with the sword. And, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the, and that's sanctioned. I actually now, had I a, don't know. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Just on that point, um, I actually had a, uh, a Catholic priest explain that to me one time where if you commit a crime, then you you go to the obviously you go for confession and you ask for forgiveness and you will get your forgiveness. But the only way for you to. At least this was the way it was. It was described to me. The way for you to get the actual forgiveness and you know to repent and everything and, and get your your penance is to actually confess to the authorities of that crime, and only then mm-hmm. will you be forgiven for it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make that. No, point. that's okay. I was just saying, you know, I I don't know when this po- the policy 
of not having to pay the the civic penalty for the crime ended. I, I have no idea how long that that has been, but they are now held accountable in, in you know, probably all around the world in civil law. But it was the dragging of the feet, the failure to do anything except move. Some of these priests were not moved into desk jobs. Some of them were moved from parish to parish until the accusations became so repetitive and loud that they had to be dealt with. So there was a, you know, a definite they they definitely brought down some of the distrust upon their own heads. There's no doubt. But the separate issue is that this current pope has been, you know, it's it, he's even said things to the effect of, well, I don't know why we're all hot and bothered about, you know, some of these issues like, you know, trans rights and so forth. He said what we need to be. There was even a famous thing that was just a couple of months ago where he was pointing at his own clergy within the church and saying, you know, how dare you point the finger at some of these things because what you need to be is more loving and more inclusive. That sounds like it's par for the course with all of the political agendas that we hear. mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. right in line with it. Yeah, I thought I would... uh... I, I, yeah, here it is. You know, that's from 2014. There is something lambastus enemies within the church. Be humble, not proud. I, I don't see it, but this was very, very recent that he lambasted his own clergy for their intolerance, I think. Uh, so there is a quote here that says, Pope to LGBT Catholics, God is Father who. God is father who does not disown any of his children. Uh, this was, uh, I'm seeing if they post a date to tell the month, but I'm not seeing a year last year. Yeah. So, you know, with, if I find that, I'll, I'll email it to you. But, you know, again, the, as, as in terms of the transgender thing, I, I'm, I do feel that there is an element of theater in the way that this is presented in social media, especially with the uh, the call for violence that we've been seeing. Oh, yeah. I, I Yeah. Uh, but I, I mentioned to you before we got started here this afternoon that this was from a year and a half ago in Germany, just before Christmas 2021, a, a German Bible museum put on a play that presented Jesus as transgender. So this is a recurring, uh, it's a recurring theme, and this was not Catholic. This is just a Bible museum. It's a recurring theme that Jesus would have been in favor of transgenderism. But we, I mean, to get to the heart of the matter here, did, you know, in the Bible, Jesus said it would be better that you had a millstone around your neck. A millstone is a heavy, round, wheel-like stone used for crushing grain. It's enormously heavy. So better that you have that around your neck than that you harm a child or keep a child from the kingdom of heaven. What is gender so-called reassignment and uh, hormone therapy if it's not harming a child. I completely concur with that. 
And that's what it's always been about, hasn't it? it it's always been mm-hmm. in the back of the, you know, in the back of the room, so to speak. But it's always been, well, we just want this one thing. We, we just want this one thing and then this one thing and then this one thing. But it's always been mm-hmm. at the end, of, at the end of it, we all knew this, what, that this is where this was going to go. At the end of it, it is about exactly what you just said. It's about targeting the kids. It's about targeting mm-hmm. the up and coming generation. And that follows along with all the other agendas we see as well, doesn't it? Everything else, mm-hmm. everything's about targeting kids, whether that's in education, whether that's in the church, rather that's with jabs, with the, the whole COVID thing. Everything revolves around targeting the next generation. So if you can mess them up, then you have no generation that will ever fix it. That's right. I mean, what you're talking about, uh, I, I mean, you're you're seeing more and more of these stories where young people, teenagers or people in their early 20s are, are coming out. They are trying to return back to the gender that they were born with, you know, so They're trying to somehow reverse the damages, but they're living with it. I mean, I saw a young woman um, recently. She's become quite a popular activist. I believe her name was Chloe Cole. But when she was 16, she went through this period, this episode in her life and convinced her parents and everyone that she needed to have this transition surgery, become a boy. And it was not even a year that she regretted this. And one of the saddest things about her story, now she is, I don't even think she's 20, maybe 19, and she's been speaking about this publicly all over the U.S. and with different politicians. She said, I will never know what it's like to have a child. I'll I'll never be able to know that. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, I I read some of these these stories like you're talking about. Bruce and I come across them. I, it's usually about once a week or so we come across these things. We don't look for mm-hmm. them. They just kind of come to the forefront. And they all seem to say the same thing. It's always the ones that that go through the process. You know, they go on like the medications or they go through the um, uh, like the, the surgical procedures and everything else. They get to that point. And then the amount of regret that takes place. And this this stuff is not reversible. You know, they, they go to these mm-hmm. places and they tell them, oh, yeah, well, if you don't like it, you can go back. No, 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 no. There's no reversing this. This is permanent, you know, when, when you go through this stuff. And it's it's not so much. I mean, I understand there's there's a physical aspect to it because you're doing like you're removing some things there that were never designed to be removed. OK, so mm-hmm. that's bad enough in and of itself. But the psychological damage that takes place I don't think we have any viable means within the psychiatric community to be able to deal with what the fallout of this is going to be in the coming years. No, no, because, uh, you know, psychiatry or psychiatrists, Alan Watt used to call them trick cyclists. <laughs> I like but, that. That's good. That's, yeah. I had, I'd never heard you know, him talk on psychologists, but yeah, that's that's good. I like that because usually, uh, yeah. people, in my experience, the psychologists that I've met and some of them have been, you know, pretty nice people. I've just known them personally. I've never been to a psychologist because I, I think it's ridiculous. But I always found that psychologists that that I talked with were like they were kind of messed up themselves. So they went into psychology to self-analyze. If that makes sense, it does. I, I and that's a criticism that has been leveled at them often. But even I'm sure that there are good ones out there. I know people who say that they have course, benefited yeah. enormously sure. from it, but. Yeah. The point is what you have in this community, I don't care what school of 
thought that they are using in their practice, what you have essentially is someone who is there licensed by the state to bend your head back around into conforming with societal norms. And when society has allowed its norms to be so far removed from nature, from anything that resembles a a logical approach to living one's life, and I'm not talking about, you know, that you'd have to be uh, religious or, you know, but just against nature. And, and they are helping your, you to adapt to a world which I think the three of us agree is beset by enormous problems, at the heart of which is that we aren't allowed to say what is true. And I can't imagine someone trained to get you back into the system is going to be able to help you deal with what are enormous psychic and spiritual injuries from which there is no reverse. There's no turning back on those. All you can do is try to live with the consequences of an incredibly tragic decision that you made. And in some cases that your parents have um, guided you to make, that doctors have gone along. I really hold doctors in you know, very ultimately, yeah. For, ultimately, yeah. yes. They should be the ones, I guess, that, that should say to the parents, absolutely not. You need medical help. Mm-hmm. You know, you need right. you need mental help yourself. And if you look at a lot of these parents and we go through and we watch the videos of, of all this, too, if, we, if you go and you look at the parents and you find out the ones that are taking them to like all of these story times or these drag shows, you know, these these they're calling the fashion shows now. Uh, but if you mm-hmm. if you find the ones that that take their children to this they're messed up themselves. The parents are. You can tell that they're messed up. And when they make statements publicly on their social medias or whatever, they're insane. They're absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I guess maybe we're kind of glossing over this and maybe this is just kind of something. And I I don't honestly, I don't know. I don't know where this problem stems from within the parents. I understand they push it on their kids and that's wrong. But where does the problem start with the parents? Where does it start with that generation? I don't know, because a lot of these people are around my age, some of them. And I don't recall this ever being a thing ever growing up as a kid. This this was never a thing, even into adulthood. This was never a thing. This is only something that's that's cropped up in the last few years, and it's been really intensive. So I don't know where this indoctrination process with this generation actually started. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know that either. It's a, it's a slippery slope where generationally, if you want to take it back to the 60s, where, but, it, you know, the whole so-called free love movement, all of that that was trialed in the late 1800s and again during the 1920s. So they keep trialing promiscuity. They get it right when they can line it up as they did in the 60s with birth control and, you know, at least by the late 60s, abortion on demand in most places. Then you have knocked down several pillars of, you know, life as it always was based on a, I I would call it natural law. So little by little over the generations, you know, my parents accepted things that their parents would not have accepted, right? That's fair, yeah. So, but I, you know, I was was looking into this, you know, in terms of the 
psychiatry and, and psychologist community response to this uh, some months back. And I found a handful of articles in publications that are, you know, so-called esteemed, such as Psychology Today, those kinds of magazines that were, one of them was a, a woman, a psychologist who was saying that that she knew that her daughter identified as a boy when her daughter was as young as three years old. And it was not a surprise to her then when her daughter was five that she publicly announced this. So it's... So she's affirming it's what it, you Absolutely. Rather than denouncing it and, and saying that this is a mental problem, we're going to see an epidemic of, of mental health issues resulting in society out of this. She's affirming it. She's endorsing it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that that Alan would talk about stars, and this isn't it's not necessarily just stars of the cinema or uh, but science stars, too. You know, those names that are put up, he said, you know, they, they call them stars because we're supposed to follow the stars. And one thing that I've noticed both in science and the scientific stars and in the Hollywood stars is a trend that's gone on for several years now where these people say you'll have a someone famously like Warren Beatty and his wife because they have said this themselves, you know, well, we have a, a child that transitioned and Warren Beatty said he's my hero of, of the daughter that became uh, the son. You know, he he's my hero. And I could cite all day long um, these kinds of Hollywood stories, as well as in the science community, um, that bow tie wearing science guy, Bill Nye, the science guy, someone who was put out to make he's science a, fun. And he's yeah. an actor. He's not even a scientist. Well, yeah, you know, but I mean, the point is, he's the science guy. He's the science guy. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, because he has a following and, and, and the children think he's the science guy, then when he comes out and says, well, there are more than two genders and you get to choose which one you want to be, that's got the stamp of approval from science. So this mind bending starts very young. And I'm not defending the parents who facilitate these choices at all, but their own minds have been uh, propagandized to since they were children with the latest indoctrination. And it just keeps getting upgraded and upgraded. If you take it to the science world and uh, look at psychiatrists as an example that's affirming this, they of all the people involved should know better because when you start affirming the transgender, uh, transgenderification of kids, right, you, you start affirming that. As they grow older, that turns into a suicide rate of over 40% if you affirm their transgenderism. And then if you get them treatment, that number skyrockets over 40%. It goes up into the 50, 60, 70% range. It goes much, much higher. Um, really? Yes. It, it gets really bad when you when you affirm it. And then... They say, oh, well, we have to do these treatments because if you don't do this treatment, then the kid's going to commit suicide. No, if you don't do the treatments and you affirm the kid's actual gender, what they were born as, they grow out of this transgender idea and accept their uh, gender that they are. And that 40% suicide rate uh, tanks and goes down to the uh, normal rate that we're at with teenagers, which is still too high, but 
it, it, it goes to that level instead of over 40%. Um, so uh, I, I would expect someone that is uh, supposedly trying to help people's mental health would um, be aware of this information and would not do this to their own kids, of all things. But um, I, I guess uh, when it comes to affirming the cult, you have to be all in or you're an outcast. I'd like to play this really quickly. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an exchange between a professor at UC Berkeley and Senator Josh Hawley. We played this back during the summer of last year. Bruce, you probably remember this exchange, do you not? I probably do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, you'll you'll recognize it as soon as I as soon as I start to play it here. But this is the kind of education <clears throat> education, I'm doing the air quotes education that these college students are getting when it comes to this stuff. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Meski, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times you've used a phrase. I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning because so we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think <laughs> so. You're denying that trans people exist. <laughs> and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you <laughs> or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're, told that to they're at opening up people to oh, violence. We have have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot. I know. This Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, you see what what that is is insanity on display, oh, yeah. testifying in front of Congress, and we are all supposed to because that's newspeak. That's the woke agenda. We all have to go along with insanity. I mean, we don't have to. I wouldn't, but we're told that we have to and if we don't we are hateful and that we are contributing to what will be a rise in suicide among this group of people and i can tell you this school teacher who is testifying where will she be how available will she be a decade from now when some of her students come crawling back in absolute agony because they cannot have children or it's a you know alan heard from some of these people while he was still alive. He heard from people who, one story that I recall vividly was someone who contacted him and they said that he, he, he was a man. He had transitioned and had his genitalia removed and become a woman and done hormone therapy and then entered into a relationship with a woman. And I think that she had been artificially inseminated and they had children and they were now raising children. And this person 
was deeply conflicted and not happy and living with a situation that was not reversible. And you don't know, you really don't know what to say to them because, you know, all you can do is just respect the pain that they're in and try to hear them out on this because there is no way that they can reverse this decision. So the only recourse that we have left to us, and this is really quickly being pulled away because we're told that we're hateful and and it's a crime. It's actually a crime to speak out. And if you were to post the video of this talk on YouTube, which of course we couldn't, there would be a warning label slapped across it from Google that would say, a variety of things about how there are people who deny that you are multiple. Or you, it's possible for you to be multiple genders or have different gender identities that it, that deny that you can reassign the gender that you were born with, the sex that you were born with and be something else. And so it would have a huge warning label if it wasn't just pulled off together and your channel struck for posting it. These are conversations that increasingly we're not allowed to have. And now to back that up with, we now have uh, an official ministry of truth in the U.S. that just cropped up overnight, don't we, Bruce? You were bringing that up yesterday. They had the um, the singing Mary Poppins at first yes. last year during the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Jankowitz, whatever her name her. was, Nina Jankowitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They fired her when they figured <laughs> yeah. out that uh, she was just insane. And then all of a sudden, we now have this uh, this bureaucracy that's just popped up, and now we're stuck with it. She's not there, obviously, but the idea is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, they were see, never going to get rid of the idea no, because of the not. idea is here to stay. Right. Yeah. No, no. See, this is for your safety. This is them going after foreign agitators that are. Uh, spreading misinformation and disinformation. That That's all this is. They're never going to turn on the American people and start looking for domestic terrorists amongst us and start going after Catholics or Christians or any other group because um, they can. No, they would never do something like that. No, you're right. <laughs> Go back to sleep. Yeah. So the, the other thing, too, because we've talked about this for a long time, the feeling that I have, my assessment of all of these stories about artwork in the European Parliament and things on display in Catholic churches in New York City or Bible libraries in Germany or TikTok videos where a transgender is calling for violence against the so-called cisgenders, I think that we are looking at state-sponsored theater I think that we are looking at a diversion that we're supposed to be looking at and talking about because it is horrific. You're talking about the mutilation and abuse of children. That's horrifying. But who should we really be looking at? And all of these stories, which are so inflammatory, keep us from saying, well, what is the billionaire tech class up to? What's going on in banking that's heading us into a completely different economic system? Uh, And there's always, there's a story a day that where our focus really ought to be on. But that being said, someone has to be able to speak truth about the mutilation of children, the destruction of their lives. That is true. That is true. Um, and to answer your, your question there, um, they don't know where one of those tech moguls are. Larry Page has kind of fallen off the uh, 
the face of the earth. He's disappeared and no one can find him. The U.S. Virgin Islands government says that they're unable to locate Google co-founder Larry Page to serve him with a subpoena in the ongoing lawsuit against J.P. Morgan Chase for allegedly enabling uh, Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking ring in a new federal filing. Yeah. So he's kind of, well, you know, he, he's gone, you know, so he's, he's not going to be able to, to answer to that subpoena. And so you, you hate to see it, don't you? Uh, I, well, he's, he's in his redoubt somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I did hear that uh, he's got a, um, He's got a nice uh, armored redoubt in Fiji as well. Uh, I did hear Uh that. I heard that during the COVID pandemic. Uh, According to a three-page motion filed on Thursday in the Southern District of New York, Page is a high net worth individual who Epstein may have referred or attempted to refer to J.P. Morgan. Never would have guessed that. Never would have Uh guessed that he'd been involved with with a big banking conglomerate like J.P. Morgan, huh? Well, you know that they've uh, I've been following Jamie Dimon lately and they've subpoenaed Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan to testify because his uh, I don't know if it was second in command, but one of his high level executives uh, left J.P. Morgan and went to run. mm, What's the big, huge bank in England? uh, One of the Barclays 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 Bank. Yeah. Yeah. And he's now lost his job due to allegations um, that he was heavily involved with with Epstein. And, and what they have is a trackable, readable email history of literally thousands of emails exchanged between this, this uh, J.P. Morgan slash Barclays executive and Epstein. And so what the uh, British Virgin, what the Virgin Islands government is saying in their subpoena of J- of uh, Jamie Dimon is that there is no way that he could not have known about this relationship and the ramifications of the relationship that it went all the way to the top of J.P. Morgan. So I suspect um, he'll come out smelling like a rose because they do refer to Mr. Dimon as America's banker. Yes, of course he will. According to a report from Business Insider, Larry Page owns four islands, including one in Fiji that I just mentioned. He reportedly spent mm-hmm. most of the time during the pandemic on on the property by circumventing the uh, the COVID-19 travel restrictions. There were other subpoenas that were sent out as well. Previous subpoenas that were issued were also to the media tycoon Mortimer, Mortimer Zuckerman, a fellow Google founder, Sergey Brin, and Hyatt Hotels chairman, Thomas Pritzker. So every time you run into one of these things, along with the individual that you just listed there who left JP Morgan to go work for Barclays Capital, wherever you find one of these guys, you always find that link behind it. They're, they're not far behind uh, almost every time, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what you're looking at, I mean, I don't know if you followed any of Whitney Webb's work. I do on, sometimes. Yeah, she's, she's good. Hangout. Yeah. Yeah, she's good. She's ex- well, she's done a really good job of exposing some really interesting connections to Epstein and there is big banking all over it and big tech too, but big banking all surrounding Epstein. And you're looking at what was probably the biggest honey trap operation in the history of the States ever. I mean, I'm sure many, many, many people found themselves blackmailable because of this operation. And it takes money to run an enterprise like that, and a lot of it. Indeed, it does. Um, Okay, so what else do I have here? Um, 
We can talk about the debacle at the U.S. border, if you like. Um, you're you're down there. Uh, you're actually you're both in U.S. southern states, so I'm assuming that you guys are going to be seeing the uh, the ramifications of this at some point, if you're not already. Uh, have you seen what the streets of El Paso, Texas, look like? Uh, well, not today. Do you have an image? <laughs> I've seen. You know. Um, when Fox News, when Tucker was on there, he had a reporter, I don't remember his name, and I was not a faithful Tucker watcher, but every once in a while I'd tune in and he would go to the border with this guy and yeah, yeah, what a mess. What yeah, a it mess. is. And there, there's so many uh, people down there that the police have just, they've basically just given up. Now, the mayor of El Paso is livid. Uh, but they can't arrest anybody. The, the police and the sheriff's office, they can't arrest anybody because they don't have anywhere to put them. And you've got, in some cases, you've got 20, between 20 and 50 gangs of, of you know, just, well, not gangs, but just hordes that will start ransacking a, a private residence. What are you supposed to do? Well, this is by design. I was I was thinking about this quite a lot, not the border so much um, because it's, well, it's I don't a think done it's, deal. It is what yeah, it is. You, you can't just relegate this to the border, but just this uncontrolled. I mean, you can just throw a blanket over it, this uncontrolled migration, immigration, illegal immigration across the Western world. Uh, right. That is orchestrated 110 percent. Absolutely. And I put up on the Redux on Sunday um, a talk of Allen's from 2010 entitled New World Order Communitarianism. And in that talk, he was reading something from a book by Jacques Attali, French uh, political advisor, to say the least, um, writer, uh, social commentator. And Attali's book that he was reading from and its connection to the system that we're going into and that we find ourselves in now was called A Brief History of the Future. But Alan mentioned another book and a book that I've read, too, um, from probably about the year 2000 entitled Millennium, Winners and Losers in the Coming World Order. And in that book, Atali wrote that the next boat people seeking work would be Americans who were fleeing from the invasion at their border, the hordes, basically, the, like the Mongol invasion, uh, the, the, the hordes coming across the border, and this is by design, you know, NAFTA now coming into Uzmaka, but it is not just unique to North America. See, I, w I was talking to someone on the West Coast of the States yesterday. She's in Oregon. And she was telling me that uh, they have a program there where uh, one of these NGOs has come in. They've got tent cities everywhere of homeless people. Uh, some are drug users. Some are just homeless because of hard times. But they the tent cities everywhere. And she said this NGO is coming in to facilitate better living arrangements for these people. And that they are what it amounts to is that each tent, so each homeless person or couple or whatever, each tent costs four thousand dollars per day to maintain the life of the homeless people on the street. Meanwhile, uh, the illegal aliens who are coming over the border are being put into hotels with really great accommodations. And those are also costing the taxpayers many, many thousands of dollars per day per person who's coming over the border. But this isn't just the U.S. Ireland has a, a terrible problem right now. And what they're doing with the immigrants, of course, coming from different parts of the world, but what they're doing with the immigrants there is the same 
hotel situation, displacing even um, Irish people to accommodate the immigrants. But what this is, is this is by design. Somebody like Atali, who was an advisor to Francois Mitterrand, could write about this because he knew what the agenda was. Now, I'm excited about this. I'm just going to blather on a little bit about Atali because I just discovered Alan in this talk referred to him as a very important person. He said, you know, you always want to look at the number two. They're often more important than the president or the premier or prime minister themselves. So I just wanted to do a little bit of research into who Atali was. And I found him speaking at... um, at some kind of convention that took place in Saudi Arabia in October of last year. Um, some, I think it was given the humble title, Coming New World Order. And he was speaking there, and Jamie Dimon spoke there, and uh, the head of Solomon Brothers spoke there, and Jared Kushner spoke there, and on and on and on. And I just happened to stumble upon Um, another article that didn't have anything to do with that convention. And it mentioned that Sam Bankman-Fried had been spotted, um, supposedly he had dined at the palace in Riyadh uh, just two weeks before he had to declare bankruptcy with all of his different um, companies. Who did he have dinner with besides the crown prince? Jared Kushner, uh, the head of Solomon Brothers was there. I think uh, De- De- Ray DeLeo, another billionaire investor, all of these guys were at this uh, convention where they were talking about how they could use their wealth to improve conditions across the world. That's the point, the point of it, looking for investment opportunities. Well, I thought, you know, um, I actually put this in a not peace article. You know, George Carlin famously said that it's a big club and you ain't in it. Yeah, and evidently right. neither is Sam Bankman freed because no. he was there <laughs> begging for money that he obviously did not get. But what was more, I mean, we're speaking about hordes, but we're also talking about an economic takedown. I had just learned a couple of weeks ago from uh, the Book of Hours channel about something called Opportunity Zones. And this is where they come into the neighborhood. They're all over the U.S. What they are is tax havens, tax incentive programs where you get a, a write down on your tax. And the longer you stay in a neighborhood supporting all these NGOs that are supposedly there to help the neighborhood, the more that your tax burden is reduced. So if you stay there 10 years, you're paying zero taxes. Well, I looked into Jacques Attali, the the 79-year-old Frenchman. I noticed in that program, he was referred to as H-E. I did a little digging around and found that that means His Excellency. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So His Excellency Jacques Attali, one of the big things that he did 20 years ago, this is a UN-approved charity. Go figure. He started something yeah, called Positive Planet. And Positive Planet is not just in France. It's all over the U.S. And what are they? Tax havens. So what we have are billionaires who are, I call it money laundering, money theft, whatever, but they are hiding their money in plain sights in impoverished neighborhoods. They're never going to help these impoverished neighborhoods. That's not the point of it. And flooding the border with illegal aliens is, this is part of the agenda because maximum chaos is the goal. 
And maximum chaos is when the people of a country, whether you're American or Irish or German or Swedish, you get displaced and replaced with whoever the hordes, and I don't mean that disparagingly of the people whose own countries have been decimated, but the hordes flood in from somewhere else and you're displaced. This is maximum chaos so that these billionaires can usher in their new system. What is it? Universal basic income, central bank digital currency, you know. You know, I've, I, I was actually, I uh, was looking into one of these schemes a couple of years ago when we started to see the first of these uh, so-called caravans under Trump, where you would have like 50,000 or or 20,000 of them show up. And it was it was interesting that a lot of them that they were interviewing in, you know, down the uh, like the Mexico uh, border area, they were interviewing some of these people and they were asking where they came from. Well, they weren't from Mexico. A lot of them were from further down in South America, like Venezuela and uh, Nicaragua and El Salvador and places like that. And they're all carrying new phones and they all have new Nike shoes on. And, and you saw the, uh, the video that I was rolling there uh, behind, on the screen behind me. They don't look like they're starving people with tattered clothes coming in. That's not what they are. They all mm-hmm. have brand new uh, clothes on. They all have nice haircuts. Um, they've got smartphones. They're all just sitting there hanging out. Uh, lo and behold, who's one of the biggest sponsors of this? Not to you know discount what you were saying. Of course, I, I, I fully, fully believe that that's what's going on there. George Soros. When you start looking at all of these NGOs and these charities, not to mention all the Catholic charities, and when I say Catholic charities, I'm not talking about ones that are, quote, associated with the Catholic Church. Catholic charities are something different. But these um, these NGOs that are run by George Soros, they had a money laundering scheme, and that's the only thing you could equate it to was, was that. They had a money laundering scheme where the NGOs would front the cash through the United Nations through their UN replacement migration program. And that would go mm-hmm. through MasterCard. And MasterCard was then printing up all of these, these prepaid cards, and they were being sent to these places uh, that were run by the NGOs in these third world countries, you know, Venezuela and Colombia and Nicaragua, and El, Nicaragua, El Salvador, mm-hmm. these places. They would get paid. Everybody would have one of these cards and they would get paid. They would get loaded up. and It would be about $1,200 for each leg of the trip. So they would go from NGO station to NGO station to NGO station, and they would get loaded mm-hmm. up on these cards all the way through. And when they would get to the U.S., they would be then loaded on buses and sent to the blue cities, you know, the Democrat run cities where they would be given the housing or, or whatever, be put up in the hotels. Uh, like you were talking about, and no one would ever hear from them again. Uh, and that would be it. You know, they would they would get the welfare and everything else. They'd get signed up to the social programs. And that's where you can bring in the Cloward and Piven strategy, which is to where you overload our social system so much that it actually causes collapse. It jams everything up and it causes mm-hmm. collapse. And you end up with maximum chaos like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that Soros was involved in uh, Europe when they were doing this, but I do recall seeing footage of boatloads of immigrants uh, going up to shore on their boat, and they were being greeted. In this case, some of the footage I was looking at was an Israeli um, NGO, but they may well have also been getting their funding from an op- a Soros Open Society program. And they were there, you know, a lot of the time, these the, the NGO boots on the ground, they're just well-meaning young people from whatever country who are zealous to help. But where the funding is coming from ha- is sinister, and it's got a big agenda behind it. Last few minutes here, 
Would you like to tell us what's been going on on Cutting Through the Matrix? Well, I did just tell you my latest excitement was, you know, stumbling on a little bit of Jacques Attali dirt. And um, I was happy to learn about the Opportunity Zones from the Book of Hours. And that has put me down a few different rabbit holes. Just like what you're talking about is who is funding um, not only the, the hordes of immigrants pouring in, but the preying on citizens of different countries, you know, where you they, they think that they are being aided and they're helped and the people who have come into their community are there to make their life somehow a little bit more bearable. But that's not what's going on. So that was this is an interesting area of study for me. And then what is I've got a real history coming up tomorrow with Neil Foster of Reality Bites Radio. And Neil is someone that spoke with Alan many times over the years. And he and I've decided that we will possibly be doing a once a month chat with each other. So that's fun. It's coming up. Well, that's good. That's good. That is Real History with Melissa. That is your podcast. Uh, and it is available everywhere you get your podcast. I believe it's still free, isn't it? Yeah, it's still, still free podcast. It oh, yes. <laughs> I'm just giving it all away. <laughs> giving it all away. Yeah, I, I understand all of the, uh, the the research and everything that we've been doing here that we're, we're investing a small fortune in. Um, we're going to give all that away for free, too. So, I mean, it is what it is. Isn't it funny, though? You know, people have no idea the amount of work and the time, the blood, sweat and tears. And you were just telling me about all of the books that you're acquiring and reading on your research. And um, that they it's we just freely give it because we want people to know. I can't do anything else other than get people the the, and uh, more to the point, the correct people, the right information. That's all that I've that I've known most of my adult life is that the right people get the right information. That's all that I that I hope to accomplish is that it's not easy tracking this stuff down. This has probably been one of the more difficult things that we've done, I think, uh, since we started here. And Mm -hmm. when and I, I can't say I can't even say when, but. Uh, if we ever get to an end point, which I don't think that we will, at least not anytime soon, either way, all of the things that we acquire and all of the steps that we take will be made public. And we've already started to publish a lot of that, uh, a lot of that information, and it is available for the world to have for free already. A lot of these pieces that we're publishing are really insanely priced. You know, some of these things like one one that we just published that's up there free of charge, we couldn't find for less than about 600 just about anywhere you looked. Wow. Um, that's that's really good, Johnny. It's just it's it's crazy. And it's it's not it's not right. You know, when when we go through and we we look at all this stuff and we start digging the stuff up, when we think to ourselves, this is this is wrong, you know, to keep people in the dark like this. Knowledge should not be unattainable to somebody. Knowledge should not be financially uh, walled off from people. That's that's just wrong. Um, and so we're going to do everything we can here to make sure that that's not the case, at least with us. That's great. Well, it has been a fascinating conversation. We always love having you on and we look forward to having you back in two weeks. Thank you. I always like to talk with you, too. So thanks for the opportunity. It's our pleasure, as always. Again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they maintain over there of all of the collected works of the late, great Alan Vaughn. Again, that's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And Real History with Melissa is her podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I would like to thank both of you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening. 